All right, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in the book of Philippians, and so let's review. What we saw in the first part of Philippians 3 is Paul is someone who had every right in the religious sense uh, to be proud of who he was, and yet he could say in verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss, not of some things, of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So who I am ethnically, so in terms of who I am in my skin, my heritage, my ethnicity, what I accomplished in my life, my schooling, my ability, my zealousness, religiously, it's all poop. That's what Paul said. Who you are in the flesh compared to who you are in Christ, poop. Let the whole church say poop. Your heart wasn't in it. It's because the value is still there, man. I do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So that's where we left off here in verse 10. It's all about knowing Christ, knowing Christ. And that's the cry of Paul's heart. Verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And so by way of quick review, let's look at verse 10. The cry of his heart was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's because his confidence, his life now is in Christ. We saw that in the example of Paul's life last time. Let's look at it in the example of Peter's life. You know, before Jesus goes to Calvary, Peter's full of himself about his faithfulness to the Lord. So he's assuring the Lord no matter how many, even though everybody else forsakes him, not Peter. He would never forsake him. And so his boastful pride gets blown to bits when Peter, right, Christ is being, it's a sham trial, and there he is warming, you know the story, he's warming his hands over the world's fire. And he faces this little girl, and she kicked his tail. Peter failed the test of his own making. Woman, I know him not. Right? Luke 22, verse 57 says, and he denied him, saying, woman, I know him not. So he's crushed and overwhelmed by his thrice denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he goes running away crying like a little schoolgirl. Where's Peter's confidence? Where's his bravery? Uh, he's running from the world. He's running from his denial. He's weeping like a baby. But then Peter enters into the knowledge of the power of his resurrection because the risen Lord met him himself. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And you remember Peter's response, yes, Lord, thou knowest, right? You know everything. You know I love you. Peter says, feed my sheep. And then you check out Peter in Acts chapter 2 where the incredible power of God is on his life. And now he's not just facing a little girl over the fire, right? He's facing people from every tribe, every nation, and they're wanting to know what's going on with the church. And he preaches the gospel. The power of God is on his life. Is Peter powering it? Is, is, is Peter, I, I'm, I'm tongue-tied. Is Peter cowering in the corner? Is he hiding like a little baby? No, Peter knows now the power of the resurrection. That's your first blank in your notes, power. When you know the power of his resurrection, that's where boldness comes from. What else can he do but show God glory? But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to partner with Christ. 
See, God doesn't want you just to have a ticket to heaven. He's always wanted much more than your membership in this church, your place in his family. He wants more than that for you. See, God always invites his people into a deeper understanding of himself. Deeper is your next blank in your notes. See, God says to know me, if you really want to know me, here's the invitation, suffer with me. Suffer with me. See, we don't view God right. We think about God as the man upstairs. He's the one who has everything in control. He is over everything. And so what we think to ourselves is, wouldn't it be cool to be God? I'm God. When you leave this building, you will be endowed with all my powers. If you could be God for one week, what would you do? Who would you help? How would you handle the most powerful responsibility in the universe? From Universal Pictures and Spyglass Entertainment. You've got prayers. I'm doing some good here. And the director of Liar Liar. Sam. Forget something? So, just fair warning, that's a PG-13 movie. I had to actually edit the video trailer for your consumption this morning. But that's how people think about God. Like, oh God, it's just, it would just be so cool to be God. He's got it made. He has everything under control. He just says, Eric, you're blessed. Sorry, pal, you're gonna have a rough year. He says, uh, Will, you get a raise this year. <laughs> Andrew, sorry, you're gonna fall on hard times. Blessing hemorrhoids. I mean, just isn't it good to be God, right? God's got it so good. Okay, think about this. When God makes creation, he makes man, what does he want? He wants a returned love. And so what does he do? He creates both angels and man with a free will, doesn't he? So that you can freely, I can freely give my heart, my love to the Lord. So what does God get in return? He does everything for us. What did we as creation give him back? In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, the whole world goes to hell in a handbasket. Our wickedness was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of our heart was only evil continually, the Bible says. And here's what the Word says. It's so bad in verse 6. The Bible says it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him in His heart. Look at Romans 3. God gives us everything. What did we give Him? Verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. God did everything. He gave everything to us. And what was the result? When Jesus came to earth to claim a people for himself, his own brothers rejected him and said he was insane. They said he was out of his mind. His disciples who followed him for over three years, right, his disciples who follow him flee when he faces accusation, slander, the false trial, 
and the death of the cross, everybody runs. Isaiah 53, we don't have time to look at it, but let me give you your homework. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 10 says that Jesus is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So God gives us everything. He comes. The creator presents himself to creation. We despise him. We don't esteem him. We hide our faces from him. We reject him. And Isaiah goes on to say that he took all of that upon himself for our sake. It's by his stripes that we're healed. He came to lay down his life as our savior. But get the betrayal. We were made to worship Jesus. That's why we exist. Creation was made. It was meant to worship him. Instead, we killed him. And get this down. That is the highest order of betrayal. Betrayal. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's really good to be God. Think about it. You don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's so good to be God. Okay, yeah, ignored at best, but usually hated. So you take your worst day, you know what I'm talking about. You had somebody who should have been faithful to you, should have been true to you. Instead, they stabbed you in the back. They treated you like trash. They threw you under the bus with other people. This is somebody that you've sacrificed for and their treatment of you was to despise you. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you been betrayed before at a point where you ever go to bed weeping over somebody's hurt and betrayal, their mistreatment of you? You don't know anything. Now take that and multiply. What are there now? Over 7 billion people on planet Earth. If If you're gonna run that back through history, minimum 70 billion people Take your worst betrayal and multiply it by at least 70 billion, and now you get a glimpse into the level of hurt and betrayal that God has faced. Oh, it's so good to be God. He's got it made. Oh, we don't know what we're talking about. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says that he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Not only was he the payment for our sin, the solution for our sin debt, Not just you, but for everybody else that ever lived, but also for the sins of the whole world. So you take the worst that God allowed you to go through, multiply it by at least 70 billion, and then you have an idea, just a glimpse at how God suffers. But see, we don't want to go there, right? We don't want to face that kind of brokenness that, by the way, God will use in your life if you let him. See, that's why we don't have a heart for the lost world. It's not so easy to be God. So if you really want to know him, guess what? It's going to hurt. He's going to allow you to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. And can I just tell you something? You don't know God the way he intends you to know him until you've come to that place where you've had your heart broken in ministry, where you've had your heart broken over the betrayal, right, in ministry. Try partnering with God in his mission, and it'll start to cost you. It'll hurt, but it'll drive you closer to the heart of God. And this is the cry of the Apostle Paul, that I may know him. Yeah, I want to live in the power of his resurrection, but I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know what it was like for Jesus to experience my betrayal, betrayal, to go to the cross over my sin. I want to enter into that with him. And then he says, I want to be made conformable to his death. I want to be conformed to the 
image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the rub. This is where it breaks down for most people. People grow and they enter into the fellowship of suffering. They're excited about God's power. They steal themselves and they're willing to get hurt in ministry. They're willing to matter for Christ. But to die, that means to empty yourself and follow Christ's example and be conformed to his death, to be like him, to be a living sacrifice. That sounds so unreasonable to us. What? It's my life. I want to live it the way I want. To give it all to Christ, unreasonable. And yet the Bible says it's a reasonable, it's only a reasonable sacrifice. It's the only way to be like Christ, to be conformed to his image, to live his life. Being conformable means to be in the same form as another. And when you read Romans 6, 3, you find out that you, if this is how you get saved, you are baptized into his death. You are buried with him in his death. That's how you live in his resurrection. So you're, you're conformed. The conforming starts at salvation, and what's true of us spiritually has to be true of us practically daily in our life following and serving Christ. So to as a, a follower of Christ, to give up what in order to be conformed to his death. What do we have to give up? Well, you have to give up your rights. Christ, as the Lord of all creation, gave up his rights. He humbles himself, takes upon himself the form of a servant, and he suffers the death of the cross. We saw that in chapter 2. You'll have to give up your desires. Christ, facing Calvary, what did he do? He says, he begs God. I mean, he's literally begging God. He says, let this cup pass. Yet nevertheless, not as I will, but thou, but as thou wilt. So he submits his will to the will of the Father. He gives up his desires. And then you've got to give up your plans, your agenda. Your will has to be brought to the point where you can honestly call your life one of consecration. In other words, my life totally is his. There's nothing for me in my life. It's all for him. Everything that I am, his. Everything that I have, his. I want to die looking like Jesus. That's the cry of Paul's heart. And if you can come to that place, well, that's going to affect your life. Notice Philippians 3 verse 10 does not end with a period. That's because the thought isn't complete without what follows. When you read verse 10, you have to keep going until you get to chapter 3 verse 14. That'll give you the whole thought. Uh, let's make sure I've got, yeah, there, there, there's, a, there's a period at the end of verse 14. Okay, that, that, that's, that's where we're going to, Lord willing, we'll end up here today. So I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be part of the fellowship of his sufferings, and I want to be conformed to the image, right? I want to be conformed. I want to be conformable to his death. Verse 11 says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, verse 11 isn't a, an expression of doubt. It's one of determination. He's not wondering if he's saved or not, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's not saying, well, I hope I get to heaven. No, Paul knows he will. So get this down in your notes. What Paul's talking about from verses 11 to verse 14, he's talking about knowing Christ resulting in reward at the resurrection. Reward is your next blank. In verse 11, under, underline the phrase in your Bible, I might attain. And then in verse 12, underline the words, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend. 
And then in verse 13, underline the phrase, reaching forth unto those things which are before. And then in verse 14, underline the phrase, I press toward. So what is Paul desiring to attain in verse 11? What is he following after and reaching forth unto? What is he pressing for in verses 12 through 14? Well, let's get the cliff notes. Let's just get right down to the conclusion of the whole matter this morning in verse 14. He says, I press toward what? Heaven? Getting saved? No, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul wanted wasn't, he wasn't saying, boy, I sure hope I get to heaven. No, because I know I'm going to heaven, I want something extra awesome when I get there. He's pressing toward the mark, what? The prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Now, this is big. Have you ever reached out for something big in your life where you knew it was just going to take everything in order to accomplish it? That's what's on the table here right now. This is big. How big? It's the ultimate goal. Paul talks about it to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, know you not that they which run in a race run all, but there's only one winner, but only one receiveth, here it is again, the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. You see, Every Christian goes into the ground the same way. You go in dead. No difference. Good Christians, bad Christians, all go in the same way, dead. And every Christian comes out of the ground the same way, with Christ's body. We'll see this at the end of the chapter. Philippians 3.21 says that Christ shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, that's an awesome promise, but it's not the ultimate promise, especially, you know, as you get older, you learn to look forward to the resurrection after about 40 or so when you get hurt. It just never goes back. Pre, you know, if you're in your early 30s and younger, stuff heals up. You think you're like invincible. You get hurt, uh, you know, a few, few days, some rest, some healing, and you're, and you're right back. But then after 40, you sprain your ankle, never going to be the same again. It's just, and as those compound over your life, you realize, like, man, I'm looking forward to the resurrection. I get my glorified body, and I'll have hair to comb again. Praise the Lord. You know, be awesome. That's an awesome promise, but it's not the ultimate promise to the believer. So get this down in your notes. You see, not everyone that comes out of the grave will come out with the same reward. That's your next blank, same reward. Why? Because not everyone in this life is willing to go beyond the, their, their salvation into a walk with God to know Him. God, thank you that you're in my life. Thank you that I'm eternally with you. Thank you for my salvation. But I'm going to live my life for myself. See, not everyone is willing to look like Christ when they die. So this is what Paul's talking about here. He isn't trying to make sure he gets a resurrection here. He knows he has that. No, he's striving for a better deal. He wants the prize when he gets his resurrection. See, some people are resurrected to a glorified body, and that's it. They don't get any more than that. The Bible, as a matter of fact, says 
they're resurrected. Their body is fashioned now like unto his glorious body, and yet they're resurrected to shame. Why? Well, because shame on you if you get saved. Shame on you if you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The the Spirit of Christ himself is now dwelling in your heart. Shame on you if you get getting as much Bible as you get in this church and you do nothing with it, well, shame on you. Shame on you that you have an invitation from God himself to know him better, and you're like, no thanks, that sounds hard. I want a life of ease and comfort. Well, you enjoy your glory in this life because you're not going to rule and reign with Christ in the next. Do you see what I'm talking about? You see what Paul is saying here? You got an invitation from God to know him better. He, he gave everything for you. He suffered for you. And you're going to give him nothing? That's just, that ain't right. So Paul says in Philippians 3.11, if by any means, whatever it costs during my lifetime, I want to be made conformable to his death. Whatever it costs, I want to know him. Whatever that leads to, it's worth it. Because that will determine what I'm resurrected to. Paul says this to the Hebrews in Hebrews 11.35. He says, you know, women receive their dead raised to life again. Every believer can, can take the resurrection to the bank. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Why? Why did they enter into the fellowship of that suffering? Why were they willing to face death? Ah, here's the secret. 11.35 says that they might obtain a better resurrection. See, when you buy a car, you can buy the stock car, the stock automobile, the base package, or you can add extras, right? There are different packages that you can purchase on top of that car. It's a terrible example, but you get what I'm talking about. You don't buy your salvation, okay? That's purchased for you. The base package is yours, and it's awesome rolling in new wheels, amen? Nothing like that new car smell. (laughs) Um, Your salvation is glorious. You don't buy that. You are saved by God's grace through faith in his promises, through faith in the gospel. And with that comes resurrection. With that comes at the resurrection, our vile bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You'll have a glorified body with Christ. But whether or not you rule and reign with him in his kingdom, uh, that's optional, and that's based on what you buy That's based on how you lay your life down. It's based on how you esteem Christ worthy of knowing and suffering with and being conformed to his death. He says, I want to attain, right, unto the resurrection of the dead. So get the context. Paul is saying, I'm looking forward to more. I don't want the base package. I want more out of my second life. Now, in talking about resurrections, you need to understand in the Bible, there are actually seven different resurrections described for seven different groups of people, and each one will have to stand and face God in the terms that He's given them, so also they face their judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, as it appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Everyone dies, everyone is judged. Jesus said it this way in John 5.28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth, they that done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. Yes, there are seven resurrections in your Bible, 
And we will, you say, well, what are those? We don't have time to get in those. We actually make it part of one of our Bible school classes. Uh, you want to get on that path to growth that's out in the lobby. You need to be discipled. Everyone should be discipled. Everyone should learn the Word of God for themselves. And so after you get discipled, you need to learn the Word so that you can minister it in the lives of people. God wants to use you and an open Bible to make a change, to make a difference in the lives of people. And, and uh, so that's why we have the Living Faith Bible Institute. We're going to talk about two main resurrections this morning, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. And by virtue of the fact that you're sitting in this room this morning, I can tell you this, you will be in one of these two different resurrections. You'll either be resurrected at the return of Christ and be judged for your service at the judgment seat of Christ. That's your next blank. Christians aren't judged for their sin. God actually judged our sin 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. Amen? Do we get that? But we are judged for our service at the judgment seat of Christ. Or, missing that, resurrection of life for the church you are not in Christ, well, then you'll be resurrected at the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20 to see whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Name is your next blank. It's called the great white throne judgment. So let me clue you in. If you miss the rapture of the church, you will find yourself at the great white throne judgment. Let's go ahead and bring up uh, a, a simplified timeline of the end times events. What's coming next is the rapture of the church, okay? So ideally, um, you'll be raptured right here because your faith and trust is in Christ as your sin bearer. You believed on the gospel. You've entrusted your life to it. Um, and then after that will come the judgment seat of Christ. This will be a time of judgment in heaven. That'll be the judgment seat of Christ. And then on earth, there'll be a time or a judgment on earth. It's called the time of great tribulation. Then after that, we'll see in Revelation 20, the first, revelation, the first resurrection. And then after a thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be a second resurrection uh, to the great white throne judgment, after which there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, so that's the basic. This is just a real simple timeline of end times events in the Word of God. So what Paul is desiring to attain to is a better resurrection. He wants a better outcome at the judgment seat of Christ. So not everybody gets the same reward there. Now, your next door neighbor may be lost, and they may be lost, but they've also never rejected Christ. And so they may have a shot at this resurrection at the end of the great tribulation. Now, to Go ahead and look at Revelation 20, verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. So your lost neighbor, if they have not rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, or maybe you've witnessed to them, but they legitimately haven't understood it yet, if they go through the time of great tribulation without taking the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist in their forehead or in their hand, well, they'll likely be beheaded for their faith and for their belief on the Word of God, for their devotion to Christ. 
And this is what the Bible says. They will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5 says, but the, de- the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, those who are resurrected at the end of the thousand years. So, your lost na- neighbor will have part in one of these two great resurrections after the tribulation. So, they didn't understand the gospel, so they didn't get raptured up with the church because he's still lost, doesn't know what's going on. Uh, He's not at the judgment seat of Christ. He goes through the tribulation, most likely beheaded for his faith, devotion to Christ. Well, then he's resurrected at the end of the tribulation. If he rebelled and he took the mark of the beast, he'll be resurrected after the thousand-year reign of Christ. Does this make sense? Everybody's with me? Look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, here it is, the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. So that could be your neighbor. Maybe you're a Laodicean Christian and you never witnessed to your neighbor, so he doesn't know. But if he, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if he hasn't rejected Christ, then he will not necessarily believe the Antichrist lie. And so we may, you know, after the rapture of the church, there's going to be a big lie about how we left. The last time I preached through Philippians was almost 20 years ago, and I said then, the day is soon coming when um, they will disclose UFO phenomenon, and because uh, there has to be an explanation for the rapture of the church. Now, I don't, the Bible doesn't say this. This is just me speculating, okay, but just you can kind of see the writing on the wall, what's happening. So when the day comes and they actually quit covering it up and they actually start revealing it, just know you're in the last of the last days because um, there's got to be an explanation for the disappearance of millions of people on planet Earth. So my money's on the alien abduction lie. Okay, now again, it could be some other lie, but pay attention. Okay, so 2020 just keeps on giving, doesn't it? I don't know if you're paying attention to the news, but they're starting to disclose that there are vehicles that have not been manufactured on planet Earth. That's in the news right now, <laughs> and they're, they're disclosing their UFO files. That's, they're rolling that out. Well, why? Because they're, one day very soon, I'm not going to be here. Believers in Jesus Christ will be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be taken from Earth to ever be with the Lord. And the Antichrist, the lost world system, has to have an explanation for that. And so, like I said, my money's on alien abduction. And I said then, almost 20 years ago, the minute they start disclosing aliens, you better get your life right with Christ. You better start mattering for the kingdom because the judgment seat of Christ is right around the corner. And here we are. For those of you that were with me then, I told you. I just, you, you, you can't make this stuff up. See, there's a lie coming. Some of you today, you've been faced with a decision. Are you going to believe Christ? And you can't get away with saying, well, I'm not sure if I buy all this Jesus mumbo jumbo, this rapture heaven mumbo-jumbo. I mean, if it's real. Sam, if you really disappear and the church disappears, right, if you really disappear along with all these other Christians in a rapture, if that happens, well, then I'll know it's true, and then I'll give my life to Christ. If that means I get beheaded, I get beheaded. I'll give my life to Christ. No, you won't. 
you'll believe the lie. The Bible says you'll believe the lie. Maybe you're saying, well, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't think the rapture is close. I'll, before my life ends, I'll decide to live my life for Christ. I'll, I'll give Christ my life on my deathbed. No, you won't. You may have until the end of your life to get right with God, but if you wait until then, you're not going to do it. And your option to give your life to Christ disappears when I do. If just by virtue of the fact you're sitting in this room and you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, your ability to decide for Christ ends when I disappear. When the church goes up, that's the end of your ability to give your life to Christ. Why? Because you don't love the truth. Look at 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. You'll buy the lie because the Bible says you receive not the love of the truth that you might be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10 says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. That's how the lie will work in unbelievers. So if, the, if I disappear right now, and most of this room disappears right now, before the day is over, there'll be an explanation for why we disappeared, and you will be so relieved that you weren't taken because we left and it was bad. That'll be the lie. And you'll be like, oh, I'm so, gr- I'm so glad I didn't buy into what that crazy Bible thumper was selling. I'm so grateful they didn't take me. That'll be the response of the unbeliever. Because you loved not, you received not the love of the truth that you might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if you reject Jesus today then for you, this will be your resurrection at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ because you rejected Christ. You didn't pop up from the ground or get raptured when Christ came for the church. Here's your resurrection. It'll be a bad day. Revelation 20 verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be judged by God according to my works. I want that to happen 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So they die twice, and they're cut off eternally from the life of God. Talk about a bad day. See, what you have to do, right? What do you have to do to be in the second resurrection of the damned? How do you end up in that resurrection if you're sitting here today? Well, you do nothing. Just don't do anything. Do not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you'll face a second death. From birth, you were heading to that resurrection. The Bible says in Adam, all die. But that's not the will of God. God's not willing that any would perish. That's why you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ today. You must decide to make him Lord. And that's hard because he is the Lord, Jesus Christ. Whenever you believe on Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life no longer belongs to you. When you come to the place where you say, I realize my sin separates me from God. God, forgive me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. I give you my life. Please give me yours. That means now you no longer belong to you. He is Lord, not you. 
And this is why a lot of people, they intuitively reject the gospel because there's too much I'll have to give up. Whatever you have to give up to get Jesus, are you kidding me? Now, you can't get Jesus by being good. You get Jesus by what? Believing on him, believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. People say, I can't get saved because I'm too busy right now. I got so much going on. What they really mean is I can't get saved because I'm afraid of what God will make me stop doing. You must make him Lord. If you don't, then you spend eternity apart from him. You must make him Lord. Paul did that. That's why he says, I'm not talking about the resurrection to damnation, but rather the judgment seat of Christ that follows the rapture of the church. And I'm not just looking for the glorified body package, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We'll look at that in depth at the end of the chapter. Uh, I, I think I gave you a cross-reference in your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. We'll look at this uh, at the end of chapter 3. Paul wants more than just deliverance from death and a glorified body. That's great, but I want more, Paul says. I want to walk with God so that I can have the prize. Look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which, I am, for which also I am apprehended of, of Christ Jesus. So Paul knows he's going to appear in the right resurrection, but he wants to make sure that his resurrection is one of full reward. I don't want, I don't want to lose out at the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, I know God's not finished with me yet. There's so much more that he wants to do in me. And if Paul can say that, how much more you and I? I mean, here's a guy that God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He suffers so much for the church. Look at the beatings and the stonings, the care of the church that was on him how he was mightily used of God to perform miracles. Who won more people to Christ than Paul? He says, but I follow after. What are you pursuing, Paul? Well, I'm pursuing Christ. I'm following after. If that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, you see, I got saved. Christ apprehended me. He found me. It cost him his life, but he found me. He gave me of himself. Now I'm hooked. I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to know him. I want to follow him. It's the cry of my heart. So how do you and I follow his example this morning? We'll look at verses 13 and 14. How do we do what Paul's doing? How do we claim the prize? Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So don't, like Paul, don't assume anything. You know what assuming does, right? It's bad for you and me, okay? So I live every day. Like I've got one shot at living for Christ. Every day, I got one shot to glorify God with my life. Like I've only got one shot to partner in his sufferings. I've only got today to die to my will and to submit to the will of Christ. And then he says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Do you remember everything that he counted loss? Who he was ethnically, what he'd accomplished physically. It's all, it's all poop. So don't count on anything that you bring to the table, don't count on that to please God. And reaching forth unto those things which are before. So live every day in light of the fact that you're going to meet Christ. That's how you do it. First Thessalonians 4 says we're going to meet Christ in the air. Do you believe it? Well, then live like it. Second Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 3, I mean, it's a long list that shows we're going to give an account over our service to Christ. 
If you believe it, then live like it. We already saw this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. Not only do you get to believe on the gospel, not only can you be saved, but you can also suffer for his sake. Paul says, and you have my example, verse 30, the example of my life. I suffered for his sake. You can have the privilege of joining ranks with Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. You can follow in Paul's example. And I, I believe I'm going to give an account. So today, my life has to count for Christ. Do you know why I spent all week working and studying? Do you know why I spend all week making sure that we're hearing the Word of God? Do you know why I spend all week making sure that we know what the Word says is the will of God over our life? Because I want you to have reward at the judgment seat of Christ. With all of my heart, I want you to have not just a glorified body, but I want you to rule and reign with Christ Heaven's great. But you can not only glorify Christ in this life, but you can glorify him in the next. Ruling and reigning with Christ, helping him. It's your service to him today that qualifies you to serve with him in the reign, in eternity. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. He won't deny us salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't, you can't undo the new birth. But your ruling and reigning with Christ is predicated on your willingness to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable to his death. And you do that because there's a prize. You don't want the base. I mean, you want the base. Get, come on, you want the base package, Right? You want the glorified body, but you want that glorified God body bringing glory to Christ in his kingdom in the second life. So he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know him. I want his power. I want his suffering. I want his death. I want to know him that I might continue to fellowship with him in his rule at his return. We're out of time. That brings us to our final question. We see what Paul was pursuing. He was going after the prize. What about you? What are you pursuing? What are you going for in your life? What's your life falling out to accomplish? What's your life mattering for? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with it? The invitation from Scripture is, is you can know this book, and you can join with Christ in using it in the lives of people, and that's going to hurt. All who, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to get hurt. And that's the invitation from the Lord is, hey, enter with me into the fellowship of my suffering. I want you to know me. I want you to really know me. I don't want you to know me just in a general sense to know me as your Lord and Savior. No, I want you to know me in the family business. Let's, let's work together in changing the world for my glory. That's the invitation. And now the decision for you and I is, is what is our life going to fall out to? What am I going to do with my life? Well, I got, I got aspirations. I have dreams. Okay, praise the Lord. I pray that's from the Lord and that you're using it to win souls and make disciples and train and equip members to multiply ministry around the world because if you're not a part of that, you're not part of anything. You're missing out. You are wasting your life and there'll be nothing worse than standing in heaven with a glorified body and not doing anything with it. So what? I can comb hair in the millennial reign of Christ and I'm stuck in my room combing my hair when I could be out with Christ, administering with him his kingdom and seeing the glory of God, the kingdom of God expand 
during the millennial reign of Christ and beyond. With all my heart, I'm begging you, don't waste your life. There is no greater privilege than to know Christ and the, fellowship, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. But it's going to take you being made conformable to his death. You're not going to live your life doing what you want, following your will. Your agenda has to be submitted. You have to die to self and submit your life to Christ. It's a daily endeavor. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. And the invitation is for you to examine your heart. And how many here today would say, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm recognizing I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I know I'm saved, but I have not been living my life for Christ. The cry of my heart hasn't been to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I'm certainly not laying down my life daily in his service. Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to rededicate my life to Christ this morning. Can I see your hands? Is there anybody like that? Yep, yep. Okay, there's several of us. Today, I need, to, I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Pastor, please pray for me. Is there anybody else? Okay. Okay. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me because I'm not 100% sure I'm saved. If the rapture were today, I don't know that I would be taken to be with the church and to be with God forever. I don't know that I have a right relationship with the Father through the sacrifice through the finished work, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm born again. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Pastor, please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there anyone? Okay, yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I'm gonna pray. And then you've got a decision to make. If God's dealing with your heart, don't just sit there and don't leave. Put a stake down, right? Make a decision, get accountable be able to point to August 16th in crazy 2020. That was the day I quit playing and I submitted my life to Christ. That was the day I quit going through the motions as a Christian and I started getting equipped and I started daily mattering for the kingdom. Uh, I got plugged in. I became a part. Father, you see all the hands and Lord, you know, you know us better than we know ourselves. And so God, search hearts, try us. Lord, I thank you for so many that have acknowledged that as Christians, they've not entered into the reality of Philippians 3, 10 through 14. And so God, I'm praying that you'd pour out your spirit and conviction, but Lord, they have to apply their decision. And so God, give grace that they might submit to your obvious will, to your word, that they give their lives. You know, we've got Father, we've had people that have moved here from all over just so they could be discipled and learn what it means to be a follower of Christ, uh, to be a disciple maker, to be a, a kingdom man or a kingdom woman. And, and Lord, that represents a decision that took great sacrifice. And yet, Lord, daily you're calling us to that. What we decide today has to be renewed tomorrow. And uh, Lord, I, I'm praying for that grace that, that, Lord, we wouldn't just go through the motions calling ourselves Christians, but, but we dedicate our lives to knowing you, to truly knowing you. And so, God, have your way with us right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.